Hey everybody, it's Blake. And this is Steve. And you're listening to Action, the movie podcast. everybody welcome to episode 18 of action the movie podcast again as always this is a podcast where uh each episode blake and i will take a turn picking a movie and uh we do not discuss this movie at all until this podcast so there's no texting going on no phone calls no like we saw each other recently and we didn't even talk about this movie so again no no talking about this movie until we hit the record button and start doing this podcast so uh this is our first conversation about this movie that we're having together so this week was my pick uh episode 18 i picked frankie and johnny the 1991 romantic dramedy and i always say romantic dramedy there are very few romantic comedies it seems like every single one has almost as much drama as comedy so i'm going to call Nowadays, them romantic yeah. dramedies yeah unless you're talking about like like you know some of these like judd apatows and even a lot of those have as much you know drama as comedy but again there's very rarely you know a romantic comedy so and gary marshall is the director of this and it stars al pacino and michelle pfeiffer and i think gary marshall is almost the king of the romantic dramedy uh with uh mm-hmm. my favorite of all time uh romantic dramedy being pretty woman i think it's uh as good as it gets and so again, big, big Gary Marshall fan, Al Pacino, Michelle Pfeiffer. What initially drew me to this movie was one night, and I'm a big channel flipper. I'll just sit there late at night trying to go to bed and just kind of flip through all the pay movie channels. And I landed on Frankie and Johnny, and it was maybe 15 minutes or so into the movie. And it, just all these characters coming in, and I, I was just immediately drawn into it. And I, I turned the movie off. And I was like, man, this might be a good one for the podcast. So I'm going to save it. I'm not going to watch it. Because that's something I've been trying to do is the, the ones that we pick on here, a movie, do it as a movie I haven't seen yet. And this was kind of cool because I remember when it came out, you know, I was like 14 years old or so. And this was the type of movie I wasn't interested at all at 14. So, but then now, you know, whenever you look back, you're like, man, Al Pacino, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Gary Marshall, gosh, why? How have I gone this long without seeing it? And, and you know, I I didn't even realize, I, I didn't even think about this, but you know, they were in Scarface together, and I was like, man, it's like they're everybody was talking about it's their reunion movie. They they hadn't done a movie since Scarface, and I did not even think about that. So, but that that was kind of cool once like I realized years. that as well. But yeah, so anyway, I just uh, you know, again, like this movie's like what going on thirty two years old and hadn't seen it yet, and I thought it'd be the perfect kind of a, a movie to to kind of do on this podcast so uh what about you blake what drew you to this movie uh because you uh told me to okay so before we proceed a little spoiler warning we're going to be diving in depth into this movie no 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 holds barred everything discussion up up for grabs so if you guys have not seen this and you don't want anything ruined, this is your chance to kind of tune out, put the podcast on pause and come back after you watch the movie. Because, uh, again, we will be 
spilling all plot points, any details, anything. So uh, this is your fair warning. So just a quick synopsis. And, and again, this, this is a, you know, romantic drama. So it is, a, you know, they're all pretty much the same, but we'll just say uh, Frankie and Johnny, the characters, Frankie is Michelle Pfeiffer. Johnny is Al Pacino. Uh, Johnny's released from prison. He's middle-aged, lonely, looking to get his life back on track. He uh, goes, uh, goes to the city, gets a, you know, goes to a diner. He, he sees a, an opening for that. He gets the job at the diner, and here is where he meets Frankie, a waitress at the diner. Uh, Johnny immediately has a crush on her, and but Frankie is just this, this uh, guarded woman, you know, she's been scarred in the past and she keeps her, she keeps her guard up and keeps refusing his advances. And, and Johnny keeps, you know, trying to, trying to uh, get her to date him. And he, he, he has this true crush on her. And again, I, you know, the, the movie plays out that way. And, you know, obviously with all movies, there's a lot of different interests, you know, and, you know, different thing details in the middle there, but uh you know, but that's the gist of it. It's this this love story between these two middle-aged, emotionally scarred characters, and it's just kind of fun to watch it play out. Uh, what about you, Blake? Anything you want to add on that synopsis? Mm, no. Yeah, pretty again. You know, pretty basic. And what what always makes a great romantic comedy is the characters, and then the writing and things like that. And we'll we'll, we'll obviously get into that as we go along in this podcast. But uh, uh, let's go ahead and get into the filmmakers. Uh, you want to go ahead and start out with. Gary Marshall, Blake? I can talk. I can dive into him. Uh, so Gary Marshall, first and foremost, I'll go ahead and get this out the way now, and then we'll dive into some of his other things. Is he? He's the creator of the '80s. <laughs> Just period. He created Happy Days, hmm. which would then go on to have Laverne and Shirley, The Odd Couple, Mark and Mindy, and he is uh, credited as creating all of those shows and you know what uh you you do realize he's a you know penny marshall's brother right the star of laverne and shirley oh yeah i think i read that somewhere I, she's laverne right yeah yeah again never exactly i'll be honest not my cup of tea i've seen episodes thanks to tv land <laughs> because there is a it made me laugh earlier. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But you said you were about 14 when this came out. Yeah, I know. Okay, you weren't about, even born yet. I was, I won. I was like 18 mm-hmm. months. Because <laughs> it would have been May, June, July, August, September, October. I would have, yeah, I would have been 15 months. It's so weird that we have that much of an age difference. You know, it just doesn't what, seem 12, like 13, it. 14, 15, yeah. 17 months. Math wrong. I was 17 months. <laughs> That's funny. That is crazy. The cool thing about movies, though, that y'all can both have, you can have the age difference, though, but see that both, both it's like you, all the time you can see a movie, you'll both see a movie for the first time, the same movie for the first time. You know, that age gap when the, and the time frame when the movie came out is somewhat meaningless because you're both seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's true. It just depends, as well as being essentially the founding father of the 80s. Cool. The only thing it does not mention here is like Cheers, but he, he was responsible for a bunch of the, that stuff, as well as he, he, he he's accredited uh, as writing slash creating those. He also directed episodes in, in almost every single one of them, and he's also written episodes in every single one of them, including 
just a bunch. Uh, he would, he would go on to as well as he would have small bit roles in all of those as well. He also went on to he acted in I Love Lucy, which has nothing to do with anything, but he had a, he had a couple episodes of that. Hmm. He's acting in '61 and was still acting uh, until the day he died. He died in 2016. Uh, Steve did mention a little earlier, he is the director of Pretty Woman, which I agree is a fantastic romantic comedy. Yeah. We mentioned it off, off podcast. I wonder if, is, has it aged well? I think it has. I've I, seen I it. watch it, I would say at least once a year. And uh, it's great. It's so perfect. And a lot of, one thing to note, since we're just talking about Pretty Woman is the script to Pretty Woman was extremely dark. It was, uh, I mean, you know, she's a prostitute. Uh, so it delved a lot into that part of, you know, it was, it was more of a drama than a romantic comedy. And, uh, whenever they kind of rewrote it and made it into what it is, it, it's just completely transformed it. And, but yeah, it's just, it is interesting to think I, I would love to, I never read that script, but I'd like to read the original script of pretty woman. Uh, but speaking of him being the quote unquote king of romantic comedies is be, he has pretty woman and he has a movie called exit to Eden. Then he, he he directed Overboard. The original one of my favorite Overboard. What was that? I said that's one of my favorite. I love Overboard. I saw it in the theater as a kid, and I, I it's, it's a great movie, but it's a little problematic <laughs> now. <laughs> it's a little bit. And the remake the, the remake sucked. Me and Jessica it, it gender bent it. Yeah, yeah it that wasn't too. It wasn't too bad. What as good as the original? I kinda, one, oh, it, y'all definitely wasn't as good as the original, but it wasn't too bad. I like Anna Ferris a lot. Yeah. He also, speaking of Pretty Woman with Judith Roberts and Richard Gere, he did a movie where they got together again. They were uh, a runaway bride. He's also directed Princess Diaries 1 and 2. Well, that's random. Yeah. There's a bunch of other stuff uh, sprinkled in there, but it's a lot, or a lot of romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Some of which I hadn't seen, but definitely romantic comedies. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, he's he's really good at, at the drama part as well. I mean, one of the all-time like tearjerker movies, Beaches. Again, I, I'm not a huge fan of that movie, but a lot of women, it's like their bonding movie. Uh, but and that's another thing too is he's really, really good with female characters. You know, strong female characters. This movie being being one as well. You know, and obviously Pretty Woman's based around Julia Roberts, and but he he does he's always done that really really well, and. Just, uh, you know, some of the other one, like another one that was, I thought, a, a big drama, too. Like he had those um, nothing in common with uh, Jackie Gleason and Tom Hanks was one of Jackie Gleason's last movies. So just all the people that, that he's worked with as well. I mean, you know, he started out as a writer on, you know, the original Tonight Show with like Joey Bishop and, and all those guys. And uh, he so you know he's he's he was around everybody he he probably was had the hookup in the inside you know to, to almost anything he could want which is uh one of the ways he i don't know if you saw this blake but to get to this is a surprised response from al pacino in one of the scenes pacino opens the door i'm not sure what scene it was but apparently pacino opens the door and gary marshall got the cast of star trek because they were filming in a nearby lot uh, it, it actually filmed in the same Nimoy year, and, Star Trek Three, I think it was. Yeah, it was like the Undiscovered Country, whichever one that was. But I'm not a big Star Trek fan. But 
he got those guys to just stand in the room to get uh, the response from Al Pacino. So that just kind of shows the kind of clout that Gary Marshall had, you know. And another thing that's cool, and we uh, I'm not sure which actors you had uh, listed, but um, you might have even had this on. I only have four. Okay. Well, Hector Elizondo, the guy that plays Nick, I love. He's, he's one of my favorites. And uh, I always noticed that he was in a lot of Gary Marshall movies, but I don't think I realized that he was in every single one of them. He's in um, every single one of them. Yep. Which yep. Is I mean, even in Overboard, he just plays like the whenever they find her, you know, she she's cast overboard the ship and gets amnesia. He's the uh, like the fishing boat captain of the boat that finds her, and yeah, he's like just he being went, interviewed in the news segment. And that's the small role, but he's has like a part like that in every single movie. And uh, obviously, like movies like this and Pretty Woman, he has bigger parts. And I love his part in Pretty Woman. He's he almost makes the movie, to be honest. But oh yeah, but yeah, I mean, beginning with uh, Marshall's first movie, Young Doctors in Love, it's uh, he's been in every single one of them, and they're really good friends. So I, th- I always thought that was a cool little relationship. Elizondo's. I don't know if you guys watch. Uh, like Tim Allen has that TV show. He's a uh, last, last man standing. standing. Yeah, I, I like that show. Elizondo's and that they're business partners. They own like a um, outdoor world type company together. But um, but yeah. Anyway, we're talking about Gary Marshall. But I thought that was cool. Like that's a big part of Gary Marshall is his relationship with Elizondo. I always thought that was pretty neat. But they met playing basketball. That's a, a, another weird thing too. It's like. Out of the, all this stuff, they meet, you know, just playing basketball together. Stranger things have happened, I guess. Yep. Um, one one other thing I, I'm going to mention about Gary Marshall is his underrated as an actor. I mean, he's like he he has small little bits and movies, and he just steals it. He just he'll just like steal the whole movie in his one little part. But you know, he's in a lot of his his uh, sister's movies, like Penny Marshall directed A League of Their Own which is actually filmed here where I live in Evansville, Indiana. But he he's he's in that movie with her and that she directed. And one movie, uh, I'm a big Albert Brooks fan. You guys know Albert Brooks? Yeah, well, um, I think I know Albert Brooks. He, he's, he's just great. He directed this movie called Lost in America. It came out in like 85. But Gary Marshall plays this casino owner. And... Uh, Albert Brooks, his wife, like gambles all their money away in this casino. And there's this scene between Gary Marshall and Albert Brooks where Albert Brooks is trying to talk him into letting him have his money back and how much of a misunderstanding it was. And it's just so freaking fantastic, man. Gary Marshall just owns it. But he's almost as better of an actor than he is a director. The voice of Marlon from Finding Nemo. (laughs) Do what? Uh, Albert Brooks is the voice of Marlon from Finding Nemo. Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah finding glory. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately, he was also named. His birth name is Albert Einstein. Yeah, he changed it to Al Brooks. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Yeah, well, his brother. Yeah, his brother's. Uh, you know, Super Dave. He just died recently. Um, Super Dave. But yeah, Dave Einstein. Um, you want to tackle the uh, the writer next? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and that's about you might have more. You might have more about him than me, but I was I was surprised that um because this his name sounded familiar. I, I was thinking he did more stuff, but he's basically just a playwright mainly, and you know he wrote did some other things, but that that I hadn't really heard of. But this movie is based on his off Broadway play, which only had two characters, and it was uh, set in a single apartment. So 
the way that the, he took his own play and wrote this movie, you know, based on his play, he fleshed it out completely different. So I thought that was pretty, pretty neat. You know, you don't really see a writer do something like that, like take something that they initially wrote and then completely change it. So that was pretty interesting to me. But yeah, I mean, he just, a lot of TV stuff, a lot of shorts, a lot of some plays. And I don't know, did you find anything out like key about him that you wanted to share? Not really. The only other thing I have to share is it was another play of his that he turned, he wrote a screenplay for called The Ritz. And that came out in like 86, I think it was, 76. Crap. It was, it was a while ago. And 1976. It was yeah, 76. I think I just did nothing, and then he did this one in 91. Like, his writing credits was very small, at least in IMDb. I'm sure if he did a bunch of plays, but it was kind of, I'm like, I, I don't do plays. Like, I'd be cool, but I'm already a movie nerd. I don't want to be a stage, act, you know, nerd. Right. <laughs> That's a whole different level. Yeah, and he just recently died as well in 2020. So, yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we just got like, yeah, we we slopped over the director and we're like, yeah, that writer, he he did things. But yeah, I mean, he's obviously an established writer and had had cred in the industry. But um, I'd say, I mean, it's nothing that that you and I, I guess, are real big fans of. Somebody might a lot of these things. That's kind of the thing that they're into. But how you do research on them or something? No, I just. Like I just I had it written down a, a note, but uh, like that American Playhouse, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Did you? I, I guess I was gonna add. I I was like, what did I have this note for? Maybe I was gonna ask you. Did you ever? Were you familiar with American Playhouse? I like know in the nineties, but I've never seen anything about it. I was, I'm trying to like I guess jog my memory on what that was exactly, but it was on PBS in the eighties. It was an anthology. I wonder. If I think we spoke about anywhere. it before. On someone else had was big into it. Um, is that what it was? God, I think I, it was. That sounded familiar. Was that? We did talk about American Playhouse with Seamus, didn't we? Just recently, it, it, it some of those guys weren't Seamus, they involved yeah. in American Playhouse? It was the the Buzz Kulik. Yeah. Okay. He was, That's what it was. I think he started it, or he had a bunch of to do with it. And doing that is how he met Rod Sterling, which led to Twilight Zone and so on. And right. So there we go. That was so, also the yeah. original one. Mm. The American Playhouses, but they've revived it at least once. And then okay. Everybody. So this is the revival because this was 80 to 84. Yeah. Or 80 to 94. Yeah. This ran. I wonder if those are available anywhere. I'd like to kind of try to find probably on YouTube or something, but you kind of cool to check out. All right. Yeah. It's Terrence McNally. You want to jump into the actors? Uh, how many did you get? I, I have four wrote down. I did five. And I mm-hmm. bet my fifth one is the one that you don't have. Probably. So Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer are the are starring the roles. Uh, Al Pacino plays Johnny. You'll know him from so many things. Actually, I find this surprising. Of the f- I'm going to go ahead and say all four of the people that I have wrote down. I got Al Pacino, Michelle Pfeiffer, Hector Elizondo, and Nathan Lane. That's what I figured you had. Now, I say that Al Pacino, he's like, you know, he's been in so many things. Like, when I looked at their acting credits, Al Pacino's been in the least out of all four of these people. 
He's been in 65 things. And that's it. Michelle Pfeiffer is in 67. Uh, Nathan Lane in 90 things. And then Hector Elizondo immediately has small roles. Like you said, he's in all these movies, but he has cameo essentially. Mm-hmm. But 157 roles to his name. Is that he's more than double theirs? Is, but no like, one really knows him. That doesn't like add like episodes of TV shows, does it? Not the individual, but if okay. he appeared in a show, even if one episode it counts. But gotcha. if he appeared in the show for 15 episodes, it still only counts as one. Gotcha. He, he also does a boatload of voice work, Hector Elizondo did. Um, but uh, like I said, Al Pacino, we got Scar, Heat, Goodfellas, Dick Tracy, <laughs> which uh, we've, I watched recently for the first time. And that was really fun. Uh, Donnie Brasco, Devil's Advocate, and uh, what's that? Uh, Scent of a Woman, I think, was a pretty big one. And he's got some other stuff now, like House of Gucci and crap like that. And I don't care about it all. Do you got anything that misses? No, I mean, you know, we we already did Pacino basically when we did Heat. But one thing I just watched this not too long ago was that, again, I mean, I'm just a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I think people are kind of getting sick of him, maybe. But I've seen some just like little blurbs here and there about, you know, I don't know about because he's such a perfectionist. But I think, uh, again, I like all of his movies. But this one kind of got a bad rap. It was probably his least known movie, but Insomnia. It's just in Pacino Chris does Nolan such a great job Insomnia. in it. Do what? Chris Nolan did Insomnia? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was his follow-up to Memento. Because he's like the... Who else is it? It's uh, not Robin... Is it Robin Williams? No. Yeah, Robin Williams. And it is Robin Swing. Williams. He's probably... Uh, I forget why it's been a minute since I've seen Insomnia, but he's the antagonist, essentially. Uh, yeah, Robin Williams is. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's another one. It was just like I was channel flipping one day and I just got pulled right into it. It's so good. I mean, um, and Pacino is so great in it. And, you know, he's he's in it's a, insomnia. He has insomnia in the movie and he's trying to solve this mystery and his mind's playing tricks on him. And um, he's out in Alaska where it, it's always daylight. And that that section of Alaska, he's he's from uh la and he has to go there for this homicide investigation so but again it's just a good a good movie but uh whenever i think about pacino like that's one of the first things that comes to mind for some reason uh he just didn't you know he's great in everything obviously but that's that's just one that kind of over always gets overlooked and so weird too that you know he's he always plays a tough guy and he's five foot six all these guys all these actors like de niro short too and um, but I always think that's what every time I see that, I'm like, damn, Al Pacino, if you if you were staying there next to him, you'd be like, damn, this dude's tiny, you know, yeah, but he's always plays that. a tough guy. It's just so funny. All these dudes like uh, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, like I said, uh, Robert De Niro, every single one of them, they're all like five, eight and below. It's just funny. But that's what that screen will give you. You got presence. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. But yeah, I mean, you just can't say enough about Al Pacino. Obviously, we could, I, I think we even said it last time, we could do a whole podcast on him. And then oh, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer, I, there's this movie called The Witches of Eastwick. Have you guys ever seen that? I've seen The Witches of Eastwick. It's been a minute, but I've seen Witches of Eastwick. That was the first time I ever saw her. And what year did that come out? Really... It had to have been like late 80s, early 90s. But I remember seeing that and I was like, 
dang man that lady's pretty you know i just it, i just fell in love with her off the bat and uh, 87 so i was 10 years old whenever that came out and, and she was also in you know like we said scarface grease too but she, i mean gosh she just had such a great career and we we i think we talked about it not too long ago with catwoman i mean good lord <laughs> mm, catwoman <laughs> That I mean, that was she must have gone straight from this to that. That is uh, literally her next movie. She yeah. she went she did this and then did Catwoman. Did no, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Fabulous Baker Boys, but I mean, we talk about her being sexy and cat and Batman Returns as Catwoman. Fabulous Baker Boys, man, she's just as sexy in that. But oh yeah, I mean, well, she's, people she's, are she's, they even sing song put her in songs nowadays. Like Bruno Mars has that song and says her name and. But, you know, that just shows how much clout she has as, uh, as you know, her body work and ha- how much of a beautiful woman she is. And she's, she's just amazing. I mean, you can't really say enough about her as well. Some more, I guess, some slightly more recent stuff. Everything I'm about to kind of name off is like 2000 forward, just for maybe some, some of our newer folk is she is we we spoke about marvel earlier off podcast but she is the original wasp she's janet van dyne in in the ant-man movies she's hope's mom michael you even see her you see her in the second one actually see that's a that's a small role though isn't it and she has more in the third one i think probably she's the one that's trapped in the little thing oh no they rescue her in the second one it's still not, not not a gigantic role for her uh, she's also, like I said, we Scarface. Uh, she is in the mom in Dark Shadows, the Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. She's the matron of the family. Uh, she, I think, one of her bigger things is a '90s one, uh, Dangerous Minds, where she was like teaching like, the inner city, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Like, teaching, teaching the inner city kids. Uh, for me, this actually probably was next to Batman. This is probably the next thing that I ever saw her in, and it was uh, a Neil Gaiman book turned movie called stardust which uh, with co-stars robert de niro and a very young charlie cox oh really it's, yeah he plays he's the main character oh cool and there's a movie she's in too that i want to see it i haven't had around to watching it and it's uh, i think it's written and directed i know for sure it's directed by luke benson which is professional valerian fifth element all that fun stuff it's just called the family and it's a black comedy and it's her i believe de niro Mm-hmm. and two of the kids and they get like their mafia protection and they get moved to like a small town for witness protection and they just start killing people in the town for crossing them that's an underrated movie i, I like I, that movie. i want to see it i got around to seeing it because i saw a trailer like a year or two ago and i was like i definitely want to see this movie yeah i think we, we kind of like luke benson a little bit kind of i think we like everything he's done <laughs> Yeah, fifth, <laughs> fifth element is good until like the last ten minutes. And yeah, flushes it all down the toilet. Valerian, uh, nobody talks about is the most gorgeous, visually movie. gorgeous movie I've ever seen. But nobody talks about it because it it just came out and nobody cared. I don't, I don't, have you seen it, Steve? Valerian? No, I never watched it. It's the only movie that we've watched in 4K that you can tell it was filmed in 4K. Mm. Like it was actually visually, it's I mean, it's okay. It's just a sci-fi action movie but visually it's one of the most beautiful things we've ever seen it's, it's a trip wow. to watch it yeah luke benson's also the professional mm-hmm. gene Reno, the professional and then there is um 
Brandy, there's one more. Lucy. You did Lucy. Everybody. Lucy was okay. Everybody hated it, but it was okay. I wouldn't watch it again. Now, the other thing I, I have written down here, I forgot to mention, was uh, she stars in What Lies Beneath. I was going to talk about that. Good, that. What Lies Beneath is a really good movie. At least I think it is. It's been a minute since I've seen it. Yeah, it's on TV all the time and it, it holds up. I, I watched that not too long ago as well. One cool thing about What Lies Beneath is uh, Robert Zemeckis directed that. And um, do you guys remember the Tom Cruise movie Castaway? Yeah. But gosh, I'm yes, I'm sorry. I was <laughs> I thinking was about like, Tom Cruise earlier because I saw Maverick. I'm sorry, yes, Tom Hanks. The Tom Hanks movie like, Castaway. You know, he, you know, whenever he first lands there, he's you know, a normal looking dude, kind of a little chubby, and and then uh, they cut to like four years later and he's all bronze from the sun and he's lost a lot of weight. And the one of the cool things is uh Zemeckis, he filmed the first part of that with Tom Hanks, not Tom Cruise. And then he filmed What Lies Beneath. And then he went like Tom Hanks lost all that weight and everything. And they went back and shot the end of Castaway. So that he, cool. he shot What Lies Beneath That's in clever. between there. How we that that way cool. he wouldn't lose it unhealthily. Right. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to some people like Christian Bell, who's like, oh, yeah, I'm <laughs> right. a, in the machinist. I'm gonna lose 60 pounds and then 24 hours, <laughs> and then within the next year, I'm gonna gain gain 80 pounds of muscle to be Batman, then lose yeah. some weight, and then come back and play what Dick Cheney or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, five for um, yeah, it, what lies beneath is, is, is a good one, man. It, it, uh, it definitely holds up, it's fun. Harrison Ford, uh, again, I don't want to give anything away there, but. But one other thing I want to mention about Michelle Pfeiffer is just her her range. You know, she she can do these period movies, you know, like um, Age of Innocence and uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Then she can do something off the wall, like she does a little segment in uh, Amazon Women from the Moon. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but that little like kind of. I don't know what you call those, but, you know, John Landis had that Kentucky Fried movie, Amazon Women on the Moon, but all these different, like, little short comedy things. But she does something zany like that. Then she can do Catwoman. And, but she's just, you know, she's just great. She can basically do anything and make it make it perfect. So, excellent. I, you know, she, and she's never really won. She's been nominated for an Academy Award, but never won. I would love to see her finally win one somehow, like, before she retires. But underrated actress a lot of people think of her as just this beautiful woman and everything but she's a great actress she got a lot of i was looking into it she actually got a lot of flack for being put in this movie because she is a very pretty woman and they're like oh you're too pretty to play this homely uh ugly woman because the the whole point is this character is she's not glamorous she just looks normal and they were trying to say that she was too pretty to play yeah. This character. Yeah, I had that in my notes as well. It, uh, the the play was uh, Kathy Bates played yeah. that role. Yeah. Actually, two two things I want to bring up while we're talking about this. All right, so we we spoke about Al Pacino as Johnny and Michelle Pfeiffer as Frankie. Those are two big names. Kathy Bates originated Frankie, and one of the first people they approached to play Johnny was Jeff Bridges. This movie with Kathy Bates and for the, Jeff for the movie or the a, play, huh? Is it Jeff Bridges for the movie? Yeah, 
No. He didn't. I, don't, I forget. They didn't say who. They said who was in the play, but it was some play person I'd never heard of. Well, then the play was F. Murray Abraham. Who that is? You don't know. He played. He won an Oscar for playing Amadeus. Uh, if you saw F. Murray Abraham, you'd know him. I mean, he's I he's probably. in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I always but, get him confused with Ben Kingsley, but um, but yeah. So uh, go ahead, Sir Ben Kingsley. <laughs> like, don't disrespect his name. <laughs> But that would have been a vastly different movie with Jeff Bridges and Kathy Bates. Been wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, do you want to take uh, Hector? Yeah, I mean, we talked about him a little bit yeah, before. Just a little bit. He's uh, again. I mean, he just you. I'm glad you said you threw those numbers out earlier. I mean, that just kind of shows constantly. Yeah, you and you, you even people that are probably like Hector Alzando, who's that? They obviously have seen him in probably fifty different things because oh, he's just everywhere. But he he's another one. He's he can be serious. He can be funny. There's just recently I watched uh, American Gigolo with Richard Gere, and uh, he's the detective in that. That's like on the trail of of uh, there's a, a a murder that's committed and. Um, Richard Gears is a suspect for it, and he's kind of on Richard Richard Gears butt the whole time trying to, you know, accuse him of this murder. But you know, again, again, he's he's a, a guy that's been around forever. And I don't know. I mean, I just <laughs> I don't know what else we can say about him other than kind of what we were just saying. Did you have any specifics? Not really. I mean, he monk, he's done voice work in like a lot of the DC stuff, a lot of the, the cartoons like Batman and uh, more one of the other bat he was in lego batman and he was the voice of jim gordon he was in uh he did voice work in gargoyles like he's been he's like my a lot of my childhood and into my adulthood he's just been all over the place he's been in everything i, I he's great and yeah who's this kid if you look his face up if you look him and look his face up you'll know exactly who i'm talking yeah, about yeah i did it while y'all were talking i knew him, knew him right away yeah he's nick he's the the owner of the cafe yeah, 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 but I know his face from a mil- like you said, a million things, a million, oh, at least 159 things. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I guess, he's obviously like Latino, I guess, but Nick uh, is like Greek or something, yeah. isn't he? Or I think he is Greek. Hector Elizondo in real life? I don't know. Was Eliz- I would say he's Latino. Elizondo, I mean, that's like Elizondo's not Greek. I don't know. Let's see here, it's Puerto Rican descent. Oh, close enough. Yeah, he, he's uh, we'll say ethnically ambiguous. <laughs> and but that's that was going to be my thing. What I was going to say about him is he he can play. You know, all these he kind of has that look to him where he can play different. You know, ethnicities like you said, Basque and Puerto Rican descent. Hmm. Elizondo means at the foot of the church. He's a classical guitarist and singer, a weightlifting coach, a ballet dancer, and a manager of the bodybuilding gym. Jesus. <laughs> in his teens, he played basketball and baseball and was scouted. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, a man of many he, talents. He, we could probably do a whole podcast on his life and all the movies he, and stuff he's been in. And still yeah. acting. Still acting. He's still, yeah, he's still acting. He's got credits here in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He was scouted by the New York Giants and Pittsburgh Pirates farm teams. 
Yeah. All right. So we have two more actors. Um, yeah, go see. ahead and you you take Nathan Lane. I'm I I'll, I had the fifth one and you didn't have. I just wanted to mention a couple things about okay. uh, her. But go ahead. I have Nathan Lane who plays Frankie's next door neighbor slash best friend or out at least outside work best friend. His name's Tim, and Nathan Lane is in so many things. A couple of big things though. Uh, in Birdcage, opposite starring opposite Robin Williams, he's truly wonderful he's in uh like a kid movie called mouse hunt which is really big when i was a kid well top thing here he's timon i was getting to that he he is the <laughs> voice of timon from the lion king and has reprised the role every time he's been asked he is the voice of timon which is massive uh and randomly he's also in uh, he's does Starring in the producers with uh, uh, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick, yeah. And for me, he did a, a voice work in a uh, a movie called Astro Boy, hmm. which is a pretty good kid movie that has a stupid large cast. Like last time I looked at it, like it's holy crap! There's so many people in there. You got like Nick Cage and Kristen Bell and Nathan Lane and like so many other people. It was weird having like going back and relook. It's like holy crap! Like all these people that are there's like a lot of big people in this movie. And Astro Boy is really just like it's like the PG Alita Alita battle angel. Anyway, um, love Nathan Lane and all the stuff he's been in. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll admit. I did not know who Nathan Lane was until I saw the birdcage in 1996, even though I'd seen the Lion King, obviously, and knew the, you know, Timon, but I'd, I'd never, you know, obviously Frankie and Johnny was even out five years before that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like I said, I, I hadn't seen Frankie and Johnny at that time, but um, yeah, whenever the birdcage came out, it was this big Robin Williams movie. And, and then there's this other guy. And to me, I was like, huh, this dude is freaking amazing. And I've never even heard about him. But then the very next year, like you said, he did that mouse hunt. I love that movie. That that movie is mouse hunt is pretty funny. It's some it's the definition of fun. I mean, I you can if you're ever in a bad mood, just put that movie on. It's just it's just fun. Like um, at least I'm not them being beaten by a mouse. <laughs> right. It's just a fun and that movie, I mean, launched the career of Gore Verbinski. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, did all the pirates movies and but excellent uh, directing and real fun and unique and uh, just did a really good job with that movie. But, uh, but yeah, Nathan Lane, I mean, just uber talented. Uh, he's a performer, you know, that I would just describe him as that he can, he, he, he steals all the scenes he's in and Frankie and Johnny, he's just, Everything he's just so he's confident, in. you know, as in any character he does, he makes it his own and just a fun, fun actor. But, but yeah, it's just so crazy. I mean, I had no idea who he was, and I'm not afraid to admit it. And you know, Birdcage, and then obviously ever since then, I've known who Nathan Lane was. But this that movie came out, and I was like, who's this other guy? Did you have anything else you wanted to add on him? Randomly, also uh, speaking of more voice work, he's the voice of Snowball in Stuart. I saw that one in small one and two. That little cat, yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else to add. So real quick, I'm just gonna the fifth one that I had that you didn't have. The actress that plays Cora. The- I recognized her, but I couldn't even going through her IMDb. I was like, I don't really know any of these movies. Like I think I do. She's kind of in. So you you just said that. So I'll just. I mean, I'll say what I have in my notes. She's she's a chameleon. It's almost like every time she's in a movie, she looks different. 
the first thing there's this movie called without a trace and it haunted me as a kid i think it came out like 84 85 but uh she's the mother of a boy she uh lets her son walk to he walks to the bus to go to school one day and he's never seen again and this whole movie she's trying to find her son with the help of this detective played by judd hirsch and again, man, that movie just haunted me. Um, my brother and I both, we had, my dad would record VHS tapes. We had two VCRs. This is back in the mid eighties. We'd rent a movie and he'd record them. We had all these movies that um, like three movies to a tape. We'd watch them over and over and without a trace was one of them. And again, it's just like my brother and I, we were scared. We didn't get kidnapped, you know, our whole lives because of watching this one movie, but she was the mother in that movie. She had short hair again, looks completely different than she looks as Cora, um, completely different type of character. And then a, a Michelle Pfeiffer little parallel here. She was in Wolf and what you mentioned, David Hyde Pierce earlier, you were talking about him in that, uh, that movie we were talking about off, off a uh, podcast, but uh, the um, post. Yeah, yeah. So David Hyde Pierce is also in Wolf, but uh, but she plays Jack Nicholson's wife in Wolf. But again, it's just like every movie you see her and she looks kind of different. She's completely different type of role. And and then this one, again, just with like the Jersey or New York accent she has in this gum chewing and just completely different than she is in those other two movies. So but yeah, Kate Nelligan, uh, underrated actress, she she actually won a bunch of awards for this movie, like supporting actress awards, like New, New York film critics and different things like that. So yeah, she does a really good job in this good supporting character. All right. So let's kind of get into the movie a little bit. And did you, did, <laughs> so, uh, did you want to mention anything about her? Probably didn't mean uh, no, jump I mean, I, I didn't really, I, I just re-scrolled through her. I, IMDb. Her. I, don't, I don't recognize her at all. I think U.S. Marshals was the only thing I recognized her in with that Tommy Lee Jones movie. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember her face in it, but I know that movie, so I'm sure I've seen it if I saw her face. But yeah, we're good to move on if you want. We kind of talked about it in the synopsis. Johnny is released from prison. Uh, we find out it was for check fraud. So I thought that was kind of weird. Like he must have had a terrible attorney or something. They, I, what Was he in prison? Did they say? Is it like he said for 18 months. 18 months, yeah. I knew it was like... For how, was how, how old years. I was when this movie came out. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like two years or so. But um, he... Uh, so yeah, I mean... I'm sure he got out of good behavior. 18 months for check fraud. But he did a lot of stuff while he's in prison. We find out he started learning like a new word a day and read a lot. And he's com- just completely... It was almost a good experience for him, it seems like. Because when he went into prison, it seemed like he was kind of lost. And then he comes out of prison. He knows exactly who he is. And so he, he, he goes into the city. He gets, we see, he obviously gets, I guess, like maybe like a halfway house or something. Because he, yeah, they don't really explain that very well. But I'm he walks right into an apartment, house. you know. Yeah, just walks right in. Yeah. So I, I guess the prison like sets him up with something. Uh, I don't, you know, they don't really explain that, but. He, he's in this shitty apartment then uh we we see that uh and it's kind of parallel and like his life and, and and frankie's life at the same time she's returning home from a baptism completely different than her family like it seems like her family's like established you know where was it altoona is that where they yeah altoona altoona 
yeah so she's she's coming back from and you know we see that she's you know this lady that's being a waitress in new york or whatever and um a, sh- a shitty apartment of her own she as she's walking up to her apartment there's a chalk out line of <laughs> guys are playing dice They're or playing whatever penny, yeah dice T- 10 points for the head or, or whatever and it's like oh man um, you're taking our our schools taking our streets and i taking our stiffs that's messed up man <laughs> so we we're kind of seeing like they both kind of have you know they're both these you know scarred people kind of living the same lives and that's you know she goes home to that uh, robert de niro or robert de niro. um al pacino goes home to what he goes home to and then uh it, she we we get introduced to nathan lane right then don't we that he's her neighbor uh she goes home yes i think no or no 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 but, we, we, that's later yeah so the next day uh we get introduced to the diner apollo diner i think is what it's called right yeah, apollo cafe i think apollo cafe nick is is there and uh al, al pacino comes in uh, johnny comes in he has the ad that they're they're hiring for sure cooks there and what does he say nick says just don't fuck up he wants to give him a chance he's like he pookie looks, cover your ears yeah because <laughs> he's training i guess it's his niece or somebody pookie cover your ears i won't fuck up so it right right off the bat we see nick's a good honest dude uh he he see yeah you know, he he tells uh Johnny will keep this between us. He's not going to tell anybody that he's an ex-con or whatever. But he 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 well, she's Pookie says he has a nice face. Yeah, he's like, should I hire this guy? She's like, yeah, why? Hmm, I like his face. Yeah. There's actually this whole scene and a little bit prior kind of introduces uh some of the comedy for me and how it's kind of weird and off-putting, and then some of it's really good. Because when he's being released from prison. It has to be like one of the nicest prisons. Ever. Oh right, yeah. Because there's that dude who he's, he's I'm in, one scene. I'm out. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. Hey, what you doing, uh, Elizanda? And he's like, Ah, oh, get out of here. And he's like a dude <laughs> standing on a sniper tower. He just waves <laughs> right. him off. I was like, Jesus, like must have been real lenient prison. Yeah, and, and like that, you said, in the, it's I don't know if it's the warden or who it is, but he's having the conversation with Al Pacino's like, you make the best Colorado omelet. And we find yeah. out that that's where he became a good cook is because he cooked in prison. Because he had nothing else to do besides to get better at being a cook. Yeah. Well, who what, Was that the warden he's talking to or who yeah. is that? He's like, come is back and cook for us anytime. I'll miss your Western <laughs> omelets or collar whatever he said to call them. Yeah. <laughs> something. Yeah, you're right. That was that was some good stuff. It was weird. And then it kind of leads us uh, into the diner, which were another fantastic joke for me. Uh, you laughed at it too, Drew. Uh, she's trying to get... Uh, Frankie is trying to get one one of their characters off the phone. Just won't get mm. off the phone. He's constantly talking to his baby mama, yeah. baby mama, baby mama. And so she, the character's name was Jorge. So she yells, she yells, she goes, Jorge, immigration. He pulls the phone. He's like, what? And she's like, ah. And then like, like 15 Mexicans in the background just get up and run out the building. Yeah. She goes, no, guys, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's okay. And that was pretty funny. Yeah. And then, well, kind of through this whole little intro and through a good chunk of this star movie it kind of feels like they're just trying they're uh the director or the writer whomever are trying to show new york how new york really is like there's just so many like small random things you're like i guess that's something that just happens in new york or just how brash people are because 
it just seems kind of weird. Like you said, with the, the kids playing with the outline and there's some other elements, but in this part right here, right after Johnny gets the job, he's super happy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nick, you know, Nick's a really good guy. And then he's just excited. He walk, you know, he, he's like, I'll see you tomorrow. He walks out and he's just happy. You know, he's whatever dancing on sunshine. He yells to somebody. He's like, I got a job today. And the guy's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, but, I, he, I, he's like, I got a job today. And the guy goes, who gives a shit, man? Yeah. <laughs> it just, what I was thinking was it felt like a play, you know, it's written by yeah, this def- guy. Oh, definitely. So it, all those things, like, I don't know how many plays you guys have gone through. I haven't gone to a bunch myself, but I've been to very few. Yeah. The I ones I go to, I mean, there's a lot of like things, little things like that, just like visual things that, and you kind of said it earlier when you were talking about sex education, where a look conveys like so many, a million words or whatever, but it's things like that. And this, what, the, how I took it was the way it was written, like all these little, he's tries to show all these little things that you do in a play to convey that because you, you know, you can't, you can only do so much whenever you have it on stage. So this kind of felt like that to me, like he's just kind of putting all these little things in there, like you said, to kind of create this description that you can't really get whenever you're on the stage, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, good point. I think right here, when she comes home, we're introduced. When Frankie comes home, we're introduced to uh, Nathan Lane's character. Yeah, you're right. She has that pizza. She has that pizza. And well, first she meets uh, Scott, Bill, grabbing right in. Essentially, Nathan Lane's boyfriend. Right. He's building her shelves. He's like, <laughs> then he says that joke. She's like, huh? The shells look a little crooked. He's like, no, the shells are straight. Your floor is crooked. <laughs> it's like just kind of they're obviously rented. crooked. Yeah. And then Nathan Lane just runs this scene. Like, I don't know if he ad libbed some of this or if it was all him. I don't know, but he just ruled this scene. He was my favorite part of the movie, honestly. I ain't, I ain't gonna talk a whole lot about the movie, but he was my favorite part. Like I should have said so earlier when you were talking about him. I thought he was my the character. I knew Nathan Lane's wonderful and like, he's real fun yeah uh, yeah he we find out and you you think that like initially that they're roommates or something but then you realize that he's just her neighbor and um so that shows how close they are they're there's they're not even roommates but his friend is it just in her but they're both of them he are just in her walk in she's not even there yet yeah so yeah so that they have this great relationship they know each other inside and out they know about each other's relationships He's obviously homosexual and like, what is that guy's name? Uh, Bobby is his name. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it's like just some white boy name, Bob Scott. And he's he seems like a good guy. I mean, he's he's younger. Uh, I mean, he seems younger than Nathan Lane's character, but um, well, yeah, he's they're kind of mismatched. I mean, Nathan Lane's I'm Nathan Lane. This guy's right. But later on, he's like trying to help her hook up her VCR, and yeah, Bobby just seems like a good dude. Walking the dog the for him. Yeah. Yeah. So we get we get introduced to, you know, she's she's this lonely woman. Her only friends are pre- probably the people at the diner and then Just and then Nathan person. Lane, Tim. Tim, yeah, his name's Tim. Yeah. But uh he kind of this is a kind of good happy little scene. And then we go to see Al Pacino going home at night, and he uh he's sitting there watching, you know, game shows by himself. 
and then he goes to get a prostitute or i don't know if that's his goal but he's maybe just looking for a magazine he, he goes he's propositioned says he can't afford it and she's like what's well, a slow night let's talk and he's like okay <laughs> why not and he, he goes home just and just wants to cuddle with her yeah that's which goes to show you like he's not a horrible human being he just wants some intimacy yeah and he wants it and and then frankie is she needs intimacy as well but she's just we'll find out later on like what what's kind of has her guard up but she's just as lonely obviously she wants she wants somebody as well but she's just scared to commit um so again this whole movie one of the cool things about it um and there are these other scenes too um it shows all the other characters like what they do when they're at home you know yes it does and i think that's pretty cool that they do it a few times throughout the movie or cora sleeping with a different dude almost every time trying to find something some way to be happy mm-hmm. and that scene with frankie when she's looking out outside her window and all the yeah. different yeah it's just it's just you go to, you think you know how these people are and then what they go home to and uh, I, I thought they did a really good job of that of showing you know how everybody they might seem happy or they might seem sad and then they're completely different when they go home but um so one one key thing here Helen, there's this uh, other waitress at the diner. Whenever uh, we're first introduced to uh, Nick and everybody, when we're our first day at the diner, we find out that Helen, this older waitress at the diner, she was sent home sick. And she ends up being hospitalized. And we, we kind of get more insight, too, of uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, uh, Frankie's character. She's, she's scared of dying alone. And they kind of talk about that. And so it's you know it's kind of the main theme is nobody in this everybody wants somebody they want somebody to grow old with they don't want to be alone but at the same time they're scared of being hurt you know so I'm gonna to jump to Helen dying did you have anything in between there that you wanted to mention no, there's one brief moment just to talk, kind of talk about the cohesion and how protective two things actually how protective Frankie is of her family, of her work family. But there's a part where Cora, which is one of her gals, uh, she runs to her and she's like, oh, this, you know, so-and-so customer just tried to put his hand up my skirt again. Mm. And they go, oh, okay, I got this. And they have a, the plan called the porn bump where she goes over and starts to pour, you know, be, being all flirty with the customer. And she starts pouring water and then Michelle Pfeiffer, Frankie character trips and bumps into her and she pours this entire pitcher of water all over the dude to try to cool it. So she's real, she's a strong woman. She's very protective yeah. of her friends. And speaking of being strong, there's an ongoing joke where people can't open jars of things <laughs> and they just keep handing it. It happens like five or six times yeah. in the movie where she's just sitting there and out of nowhere, someone just hands her a jar from off screen and she slightly struggles to crack it open and then hands it off. <laughs> and at one point, kind of like a one of those weird, it's actually a pretty uh, important moment later, but I'll tell the joke is she's saying bye to somebody. Somebody got their dream job and they're leaving the cafe. He sold a script. Yeah. And so <laughs> I don't remember the character's name, but he hands her a jar and she takes it and she's like, 
and she actually genuinely struggles to crack it open and she finally gets it open after a few seconds and the guy's like me and three of the guys tighten that as tight as we yeah. can get it <laughs> yeah that was good and i thought that was pretty good yeah so she's both emotionally strong and apparently physically strong yeah i was gonna mention that as well about the her her relationship with these characters and not only uh i mean her co-workers not only your co-workers but also the patrons at the yes. at the cafe it's like very much they so. all know each other they're all regulars they all kind of joke around with each other obviously there are the other people that kind of come and go like uh tourists or, or anything like that but there's a core group of you know of regulars there and it, it's pretty cool the relationships they all have together but uh, another scene that, that i thought was funny that kind of shows the cohesion of her and her co-workers uh, just like the men and the women like not not just her and the other women like you said that the example that you use, but um, she's they're they're kind of sitting there after after their shift or whatever, maybe on their break, and they're all just kind of sitting there joking around together. And the guy that you talked about earlier that was always on the phone, yeah, Jorge. He he's always talking to his girlfriend or whatever. And one of the guys, they're like waiting for him. I think that get maybe they're doing like a tip meeting or something. I don't know, but they're waiting for him. And they're like, where is he? And you and one guy's like, he's all he thinks about is pussy. If you open up his brain, you just see a bunch of hairy triangles. <laughs> and <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer like kind of like slaps him on the shoulder, like, oh, you know, but it's like men and women, you know, sitting there together joking like that. So I thought that was cool. A know? very strong family. Yeah. Yeah. And it go, like I said, because you mentioned Helen. Do you want to talk about that now? You, you want to talk about jump to where she dies, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in my, it, it was a big thing to me. I, I thought that this was, you know, they're sitting at the funeral. Uh, it's uh, Frankie and Cora. And, and then Nita. the other waitress, I forget Nita. her name. She's kind of like the, the nerdier, like the nerdier lady uh, waitress. But the, the three of them are sitting there at the, the funeral together. And then uh, Johnny comes walking in doesn't look at them but they all notice him because they're sitting there and he walks by them and he walks straight up to the casket and kneels down and cries and it's a, it touches him and all three ladies are like gosh he he never even met her you know and what why is why first of all why is he here second of all why is he crying and then uh that next day and it, it just you, it stays with Frankie like you the camera stays on her and you see like her thought process and like gosh like, you know I think I think this is her first moment of like seeing what kind of person he is he's not just this guy that walked in off the street he he actually has feelings and she sees a different side of him and the next day she asks him about it and they talk about empathy and I thought that was a pretty cool scene oh yeah that, and that's also where he like talks about that he tries to learn a new word every day and mm-hmm. stuff like that and she she's like she's like i know what it is he's like no you don't it's okay it's okay i didn't know what it was at one time either because i didn't know what it was until i looked it up you're good yeah but it, the whole thing about you know it just showed that 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 one little scene like showed so much about what kind of person he was and i think that's the first thing that kind of like kind of starts turning turning that side over for her to to kind of see him for who he is and to she i think she lets her guard down for the first time there but then so uh, someone else gets their claws in him first yeah so he has that one night stand <laughs> with cora yeah and what's uh, just so so awkward he he has an orgasm he like 
just Com- sitting there looks silent. almost looks comatose <laughs> doesn't make any sound <laughs> it looks like he has a stroke or something she's staring at him like what? what's wrong are you okay <laughs> but she core goes back to work obviously like all women and tells everybody about it and she tells the whole thing <laughs> yeah never never have a I mean, I guess watch what you do whenever you have a relationship with a coworker, but you never know what they're they're all going to be talking about at work. But yeah, so it's it's obviously just a one night stand. You, we talked, you kind of mentioned that about Cora, different man all the time, and she just wants probably some sex. You know, she's her her sex drive is up as a middle aged woman, and he just wants some companionship, and uh, that that goes nowhere, obviously. But I think that that one little thing of her lowering her guard for him kind of that when she found out about that, I think it kind of raised it back up. She was like, Oh, he just wants sex maybe, but that's obviously not who he is. But that scene, it was just so, so awkward that that sex oh, yeah. scene between them. It was <laughs> but, very awkward, but it was also very mature. Cause he was like, he's like, should I stay? And she's like, why bother? Cause we'll just lay here for the next 30 minutes trying to go to sleep and wondering why we didn't click, why we didn't hit it off. And what's the point of that? It didn't work out. No bad feelings. You have a good night. You know, it was very, it was handled very maturely. I, I actually did think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They kind of lay in bed together. And then, you know, and the, another thing about that, and then I was going to mention on that scene, solely because I'm going to mention something else is kind of the opposite of it later on, like the way two different characters and two different women are. But when he's saying bye to her, she's sitting there in bed. I mean, they don't show it, but she's topless. She's nude. And again, they don't show it on camera, but she's just sitting there uncovered, like talking to him. You know what I'm saying? Like doesn't care about it and just having a normal conversation. And then I, I get we, we're not to this point yet, but I, I, there's a big scene that happens later on between Frankie and Johnny that that is kind of shows the difference of how these different women are. But I, I thought that that was neat the way that she was just sitting there like that, like that's that's Cora. You know what I'm saying? She's, yeah, she's just confident, um, and she, she she is. So finally, you know, Frank Johnny asks Frankie out a few times. She keeps turning him down. And then you mentioned it earlier with the coworker. He sells the script. They have a going away party for him. They, uh, she, again, he asks her to go to the party with him and she says no, but he just shows up. He finds out, he guesses correctly, I guess, what her address is. Right. Well, uh, how is it? He, not a little forceful. He asks a couple of times for them to go out and then she makes that joke she's like well maybe i don't like where your wick's been and he's like ah that was just yeah a, a buffer to, uh, for loneliness and he you know he explains sort of what it was and he's like let me take you out let me take you out and a little creepy uh he he tells her her he tells her her address she's like how'd you find that out he's like oh it was on your punch-in card don't and then she's like don't be looking at my stuff but doesn't say her apartment number and he's like, what's your apartment number? And she just says one, which actually ends up being the correct one, but he doesn't believe that it is. And so he tries to, and she, every time after that, she keeps giving him a, fa- a different one, a little coy back and forth. And she doesn't actually want to go with him. And then kind of fast forward a little bit to the actual night of the party. And she's getting dressed with her, with, with her, with neighbor Tim, who again, this is a, a great scene. A lot of people, a lot of, 
scenery chewing in this scene. She's getting ready. Uh, you got Bobby there, which Tim's boyfriend, he's in, installing the VCR that uh, she just bought. He has no idea what he's doing. And then out of nowhere, there's a buzz. And like, are you expecting anybody? No, I'm not expecting anybody. And so Nathan being the, uh, I don't know, the drama queen that he is, tiptoes over and hits the buzzer. And it's, lo and behold, it's Johnny literally just guessing, hitting buttons on the intercom, trying to get a hold of somebody and ask him if Frankie's there. Yeah. And he, he buzzes him in and like 10 seconds later, he's at the door and he's like out of breath. And they're like, oh my gosh, how did he get up here so fast? Was Nathan, isn't that what Tim says? He's like, yeah, he's, he, he's just out of breath. He's like, what happened? He's like, I just ran up five, five whole stories. And then it leads to like, I guess this is what you say, like the stereotypical Pacino acting where he's just over the top, kind of, whoa, I'm dizzy. Whoa, I shouldn't have, he was just kind of like, it, it's some high end not even high-end it's um parodied this is the thing people when they joke about al pacino this is the type of acting they think that he's doing when they make jokes about him yeah is that fair to say yeah what one thing that we haven't even mentioned is frankie and johnny is based on a song um yes. that goes all the way back to like 1904 then obviously there's been different renditions of it throughout time but i think one of the um, more famous ones was the one elvis did right I I'm not even sure. Did did he do one? Oh, he may have been. Oh, no, no, no. I think he was in a movie. I think he was in a movie called Frankie and Johnny. But oh, I don't okay. think it was this. I think it was the story of the song. I mean, Al Pacino says that to her, like one of the first times he asks her out, like Frankie and Johnny, don't you find that odd? Like the song. And then Nathan Lane, Tim's character on this, he says it. He's like, Ooh, Frankie and Johnny, I got goosebumps, just like the song. But uh so, you know, they just kind of played out throughout the movie that it's obviously recognized that um, Frankie and Johnny just like the song. But so, yeah, this this is a great scene, like you said, and they all kind of bond and Al Pacino offers to help with that uh, fixing that or setting up that VCR. And obviously he doesn't know what he's doing either. And he hands it back over to to Bobby. And uh, so Michelle Pfeiffer finally gets ready and they they head out to that party. Go ahead. There's uh, again uh, just the uh, the stereotypical kind of like quick witted nature of some of these plays and stuff where everyone's got something not not necessarily clever but someone's always got something funny to say. Was during this scene, Tim just because he's not trying to hide who he is. He's like, oh yeah, we just started dating too, and it makes Al Pacino inc- or makes Johnny very uncomfortable. He's like, oh, so you're with each other. He's like, yeah, this is is my boyfriend. And he goes, oh, okay, yeah. And it's just kind of real quiet, awkward for a little bit. And then as the scene kind of progresses, like you said, they're they're about to leave to the party. And I guess just trying to be nice, uh, Johnny goes, you know, I have a cousin who's gay. And Tim goes, a lot of people have cousins that are gay. (laughs) Yeah. And then he's like, I think you'll like him. You should... You should meet him. And then uh, Tim goes, you know what? I'll look him up in the gay directory. Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, he's cool hey, have a good day. He was just so flabbergasted and confused by there just being an openly gay man there. Yeah. Yeah. Al Pacino's that reaction. Whenever, funny. Yeah. When he says that, Al Pacino plays that perfectly. I actually have, I'm 
just watch that scene a second ago. But it's a great scene. Yeah. But uh yeah, cool dynamic. Just shows how laid back and good of a dude Tim is and uh Johnny as well, you know, even though that kind of took him by surprise, he's so cool and open with it. And but uh yeah, and again, I mean this whole scene is uh in my opinion, Tim being, you know, protect I guess that's Very a, a recurring theme being being protective of like your friends and people close to you and tim is really looking out for her you know he wants to make sure that uh that she's happy and and that she's not with anybody that's going to treat her bad so i think he's, he's been like, there when she was treated bad and was exactly good. like he knows her whole dating history right that's exactly what i was gonna i'm just gonna say it's that fine line between him being protective of her and wanting to make sure she's with the right person, but at the same time, knowing how lonely she is and wanting to find somebody for her. So, and kind of, he's, he's at the same time pushing her, you know what I'm saying? Like, look, I know this happened to you, but you got to get back out there. You got to at least, even though you're not sure about this guy, you need to, I don't think he's too bad for him. He's worth a shot. So go ahead and try it. I'm pushing you. I'm pushing you out there. And he does a good job of that in this scene. So yeah, you're right. Um, this this was a really kind of key scene. Uh, showed a lot of different dynamics there. But when when they go to this party, that's really when they they get close. They they sit and they talk. Frankie and Johnny they have a, a really good conversation. Uh, what what's the that that guy too? I mean, I I think we should mention that the guy who that is is Glenn Plummer. You, are you familiar with him? That the guy that sold the script, whose party is? I know his is? face. Uh, he's probably, but I didn't. He was in the movie for such a short amount of time. I didn't do any research into him. Yeah, it's probably one of his first movies. But he he was a, you know, a bit part in a lot of different movies, like in Speed. He's the guy who Keanu Reeves hijacks his car. But again, Glenn Plummer just quite kind of cool to see him in such a small little role. Yeah, this this scene is anything that you really maybe I'm forgetting like key things, but they have a really good conversation, Frankie and Johnny, and it, it, it's like the the not the meet cute, but it's like the ending result of the meet cute where they're you know her barriers are dropped down. She's kind of understood him, and she's he's kind of digging you know some, about some information and stuff because she has several times in the movie you find out she has an obsession with elephants she thinks they're you know she has an obsession with elephants and i thought this was kind of silly and funny but he finally gets her to confess why she likes elephants so much and she just goes oh no big reason i just saw dumbo when i was a kid and you're like okay and then literally the next sentence she's like oh yeah and my dad left a week later hmm, no biggie though i just like dumbo you like, oh, that was kind of big if you watch Dumbo's kid and then the next week your dad left that's probably why you like him so much but I guess it might be her barriers I guess yeah. coming up slightly but I did think that was a little funny <laughs> yeah yeah in this and, previous scene when they're in the apartment waiting for her to get ready um they kind of talk about the elephants there and show all of them she has all, like a whole bookshelf of figurines of that's them. the shelf that uh Bobby was building for her just cows yeah. all these uh ceramic and glass and elephants and stuff so after this party they they go they kind of they're he's walking her home he he gives her that flower what i okay it's supposed to be cute where he gives her the flower and it's kind of oh i don't know i didn't go to prom you didn't go to prom haha it's kind of cute and funny 
and they go in for their first kiss. And that is one of the most uncomfortable looking, unsatisfying kisses I've ever seen for a couple. It was just gross. He was like kissing, like full mouthing her chin. It was not a good kiss at all. Like you're laughing, but do you do feel this? It was a gross kiss. It looked gross and uncomfortable. He was like mouth raping her. <laughs> I actually, I'm, just because you're going into such detail and I went ahead and put it, I'm looking at it right now. It's, it's, not, just, a, it's not a good kiss. And I mean, I wouldn't no. say it's not a good kiss. It's a different kiss. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not just a normal kiss. He's like pretty like. It, it also semi matches their personalities where he's real open and all about giving everything to have himself to somebody and she's real guarded so he's eating her face i mean it's that. just like it's not a normal kiss it's almost like he's jumping straight past the first kiss mode and into like we've been together 10 years kiss or mode, you know what i'm saying but yeah. he, like you said he's he's really open rough but when as soon as they get back to the apartment she pulls out the the couch bed and she's like kind of leaning forward pulling that out and he's like smacking her on the butt and stuff you know well also so it's like it he just jumped like like yeah. 10 different and maybe it's just because they're middle-aged and there's i don't know it's just like he's why why very... go through all these awkward like first moments when we both know that we're not teenagers anymore we can just i don't know but he's very forceful incredibly slow so like to the like this same part, he, he she he's like we should go back to your place because his place is disgusting. He's like we should go back to your place. She's like, who says? He's like, I say we should go back to your place. And then she's like, does it have to be tonight? He's like, yes, we have to go back to your place tonight. It's yeah. I guess it's supposed to be cute, but it seems very forceful. Well, I mean, he that's how he is throughout the whole thing. I mean, she keeps telling him no, and he keeps asking her out anyways, and he just shows up at her apartment to, you know, even though she told him no, he still shows up. But yeah, I mean, that's just how he is. He's he's extremely forceful. And say everything kind of comes to a grinding halt. They're hot and heavy and everything, and he doesn't have a rubber or whatever. So it, <laughs> yeah. so it has to wait. Well, doesn't that lead to like a whole, they get into a fight, that's and later. They, or and it comes back around that she has one in the bathroom. Yeah, she is, she actually ends up having some rubber. Such, such a long, awkward scene. I felt I felt like. Yeah. Well, she cuts her finger like they're they go to get some food. Like, like you said, they kind of start arguing. They go into the kitchen. She's slicing that thing. She sliced her finger, then they go into the bathroom. They're like kind of joking around about ages again. Like, how old are you really? And then that's whenever it kind of comes out that she has rubbers. Is that I what you're talking about? You judge me, but I have some there. Maybe. They're behind the blue thing. Ha, 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 ha. And then they finally get together. It's a real nice, sensual moment. They're coming together, and it leads to a real funny moment. We spoke earlier when he was with Cora. He, it was like a nothing. He was like, he, he was just, done and that was it and then she keeps whispering i want to hear it i want to hear it i want to hear it and he finally just ah oh, just roars as he's you know finishing at the same time as tim is taking trash out yeah and he's like 
what is that? <laughs> he looks at this crazy noise that's coming from down the hall. Yeah. That part was hilarious. Yeah. And the lovemaking scene, just like the kiss, it's just kind of different. Not, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know. They, if, it's, if, they, if they wanted to describe like how these two people would be and just kind of at this stage in their lives, just kind of awkward and showing how different people do things. They did a good job because, you know, he's like kissing her underarms and, you know, I'm yeah. talking about, it's just, I don't know. It's just, they, you know, maybe it's disgusting, but it, they did, a, it's like stuff that I hadn't seen really before. They did a good job, like making this, these moments he's ready to unique jump and memorable. As if they've been married for 10 years. That's what he's ready to be. Yeah. And she's nowhere near that. But she has a good time though, you know? Yeah, she does have a good time. She likes all this. Okay, so they've get they've had this moment. Now they're back to work, and it's like now where do we go from here? It's like kind of now in real life, it's a little bit awkward, you know. It's a little bit awkward, and it's a little cute, but a little awkward. Like she's when she's like he offers to make a go on a picnic, and she's like, "Oh, I hate tuna ca- casserole, but I like tuna sandwiches." And they're planning an actual date after having you know they're like doing the step one they're doing step two after they've already jumped to step five yeah they're just kind of like retroactively like oh are we really that good together yeah so they have that little date and i mean seems like things are going all right and he he, he borrows gets, nick's go ahead yeah so he borrows the car he borrows nick's car and we're not sure what he's doing exactly but he goes and watches this family and i mean i guess we have an idea of what he's doing but he doesn't really say anything to anybody but he watches these two kids and they like this guy comes home and they go and hug him and this woman's out there with them and he's just kind of sitting in the car watching them and you're thinking i guess he is going to get out of the car or, but he doesn't he just sits there and watches them so what anything else you wanted that not yet i mean he, they explain what that is here in a little bit but yeah but that seems over kind of quick and then we and then, jump to the bowling alley pretty much to be at the big bowling alley which, i call it the bowling alley freak out yeah so he just kind of johnny invites himself basically like this is this is frankie's time with her friends she's like in a little bowling league and johnny just shows up it's uh you know cora and tim and frankie they're all there it's her bowling. friends in, yeah. in this particular moment like he kind of invites her himself into her inner core you know Mm-hmm. she doesn't like it but like you said i mean you call it the freak out bowling freak out scene she doesn't like it one bit it, well because he he like but everybody else likes him being there you know they're all yeah. like ta- he's telling stories and they're all sitting around him like but she and she's just sitting there annoyed like i can't believe i can't believe he did this i she's can't believe he's doing here. steaming in her own just anger of why he would have the audacity to show up and hang out with her but everybody and, else, like Tim, is just sitting there, like, like they're all leaning in, like listening to his stories and all part of it. And she's just sitting over to the side by herself. And then yeah. like, he then he drops the ball, figuratively and literally. He because they're at a bowling alley, and he drops the big the big L word. He's like, "I love you," and they're like, "Whoa, that's a little much, buddy." You guys have only been on one date that ended in coitus. Uh, and now she's uncomfortable around you. 
and you're invading her personal space. And that this is him just being forceful. Like really just, I just want you to know this thing. And then she gets so mad. How dare you come in here, ruin my bowling night by telling me that you love me. You can't love me. And then just flips her shit. Like she really does. Mm -hmm. Kind of rightfully so. But if she had told him from the get go that she was uncomfortable, it would have been that it shouldn't have been that big of a freak out. But she stewed and it exploded. Yeah, I mean, we see what kind of demons she has inside of her, obviously, from these other relationships that she's had in her past. And I mean, I think she overreacts. I think Tim thinks she overreacts. You know, Johnny keeps trying to call her and get a hold of her. She's at home cleaning. Tim's there with her. Tim's trying to get her to talk to him. One of the things that causes her to freak out so much is he talking. He's like, I love you. I love you. I want us to get married, have a big house, have a whole litter of kids, have five, six, seven kids. And then she's like, I hate kids. He's like, you don't hate kids. I've seen you around kids. You love kids. And then they get into an argument about that. And then she has to kind of confess a <clears throat> deep secret that she can't have kids. Right. Yeah. I, I, I was going to mention that, but I didn't know if we should mention it here or like you said, when she finally says that. Wait, Wait, this is yeah. where she says it. She yells it at him. She's like, well, I can't she doesn't have say like why she can't right then. No, she? she can't. She doesn't say why she, but she right. says she can't right, have right. kids. Right. So, I mean, I guess we can thing. go ahead and just say, I mean, we find out she does end up confessing to him that she can't have kids because she was physically abused and she had a miscarriage. And so she can't have kids anymore. So by one of her ex-boyfriends. Her. Yeah. But so, this, I, I, I will give credit where credit is due. And you don't really catch it until I, I caught it on my second watch. Is at the very, very start of the movie, like before the credits are rolling, when she's at her, her a christening of her godchild, and we're meeting her family, and her mom has a very quick joke. It was like, "Oh, I can't wait to have my own grandchildren!" Ha ha ha. She's like, "Mom, shut up!" You know, she's real quick witted. You know, mom humor. And then when she's on her the ride back to the city she is bawling her eyes out and you're like why is she so sad it doesn't make any sense until you have you having watched it and you go back and you're like oh her mom made a kid comment and it she she doesn't she didn't tell her mom that she was beaten and that she can't have kids because that you know her mom's always afraid of her being in the city alone anyway yeah she, good i'm glad you mentioned that. i mean it's because I, I was thinking i was going to say this later on is whenever she does tell johnny and that's a good point that you just said about her mother. Like, probably not even her mother knows no what happened knows. to her. So that's how big of a deal that is when she tells Johnny, you know, that shows, like, how much she trusts him and how open she is to him. And so, yeah, good good point bringing that up about probably not even her mother knows that deepest, darkest secret. And she does share that with, end up sharing it with Johnny. She kind of yells it, and so everyone kind of hears it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but then like after that meltdown freak out, we shoot to what you were talking about, where they're Johnny's calling her phone every 20 minutes and Tim's there. You want to take over from there? Yeah, I mean, she she basically like cuts her completely cuts herself off from him, uh, goes so far as to change her shift at work, (laughs) you know, so they don't have to see each other. And johnny changes his shift too <laughs> i mean there's just no getting rid of this guy you know he's he's got it if anything he's a he's consistent you know and persistent but yeah i mean it goes like i i don't know if they 
say how long it goes, but it, it, they kind of have that little montage where he keeps calling her and she's not answering. She's cleaning. Uh, Tim's answering the phone, making excuses for her. Then, then when he's and not that, on the phone. That is just Nathan Lane being comedic too. He's like, you want to answer this? No. Can I answer this? She said something very derogatory about you, Johnny. Don't call back for the next till the next 20 minutes. Click. <laughs> right. And he keeps picking up the phone. He says that one. Uh, uh, I, I really got to go, Johnny. I'm expecting another call from you here in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> just not, Nathan Lane knocking it out of the park with the comedy and the jokes. Yeah. You know, a lot of that is probably improvised. Yeah. Oh, you know it was. But uh, I don't know. You know, it goes on. It's just that's kind of maybe one problem I have with this movie is it just does kind of seem like it's the same scene over and over, you know, it's like it drags its feet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, this is just like kind of, and this isn't even the last instance of her like pulling away, you know, it's just, I don't know. It just got old for me. It's just like, they get close, she pulls away, they get close, she pulls away, they get close, she pulls away. But um, obviously they get, they get, you know, this only lasts for so long she uh you know back at the diner like i said he he switches shifts they're 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 he does his he does his johnny thing and he he kind of talks her into being close to him once again go ahead so i kind of want to bring this up because this is kind of supposed to be cute where unbeknownst to well as far as we know unbeknownst to her that he decided to change shifts so that he wouldn't be around her he didn't want to smother her i guess but we don't know how how would you say that drew would you watch this um uh, we're me and jess we're watching this uh 101 horror moments thing on a uh, shutter and it was a director who was talking about they're talking about how the way romantic comedies are portrayed a lot of the times can almost all almost any of them could be turned into a horror angle based on how how uh, how one of the one of the two people acts like this like and i I thought about that while watching this movie because i I saw that first and while watching this movie i was like this could be the way opportunity characters act turned slightly this 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 would be a a really scary stalker movie stalker obsession that person i forget who i should remember who it was said that that a lot of when you watch romantic comedies that that aspect is always underneath a lot of those movies. Yeah. So and I, I found this, like I would say, I'd say, I ain't gonna say a whole lot, but I found, I found Al, Al Pacino to be an absolute monster for this entire movie. I know it, it seems extreme. I found him to be insanely creepy and forceful the entire, the entire movie, but that's, I mean, Blake thinks of maybe a little differently and you sound like you do too, but no, I mean, I, I was uncomfortable was the whole time watching this movie. Very forceful, very uncomfortable, very creepy. And we don't know. Did he ask people? Did she change her shift? And, uh, or something? It was, like, it was, too, it was a small much. community. Someone he had to overhear someone say that she changed shifts, and he's like, "I'll change shift." Too. It's like, like you, but you watch a stalk. Like you go, go find a horror movie that's about a stalker that will do all the same things that he does. Go watch uh, either the 1980 or the 2012 remake of Maniac. Yeah, and yeah. Like just him stalking his victims. Oh yeah. no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's just really strange. I, so yeah. When they're back at the diner, I mean, the, he uses kind of two gems to get back in her good graces of honesty. He basically tells her about prison and they talk about, you know, he this whenever he talks about all the reading he did there. And then he also tells her about 
what he borrowed Nick's car for. That he used and, to be married. Yeah. Uh-huh. Tells her all that. And she uh really she's taken aback by that. the honesty. That's yes. for sure. Uh-huh. She she tells him that she thinks he should go talk to him and um they they bond again. So and you I don't know about you, but for the first time I see like even though they had that date and they made love and all that stuff, I see for the first time like her eyes do kind of change here. Whenever she's talking to him, there, there there's a couple good shots that Gary Marshall does here where it's like right into her eyes. And and in my opinion, she just kind of changes for the first time. Like she realized that he's being vulnerable and honest to her and she really appreciates that. And I think that because evidently, you know, he's probably kept that from as a secret to everybody there at that point. So, because well, he and Nick said, let's not tell anybody about this. They don't right. need to know. Yeah. So she, I thing. think she really liked that. But yeah, so they're back together. I don't know. I mean, where do you want to take it from there? <laughs> well, they're back together again. They kind of go on a date or do they go on a date or do they go straight to her place after they finish working? Because he tries to smooth everything over. He, and he does a cute gesture where he dyes a he carves a potato to look like a rose dips it and i guess beet juice uh, yeah some kind of juice uh-huh. and dyes it red and then attaches a piece of stock celery. of celery to a fork and it makes it look like a rose it's a cute gesture it is cool yeah i was you gonna know. mention that too and even nick kind of like he's like i don't normally condone you know work relations uh though that potato is a nice touch you can take it home uh but bring the fork back it costs money this <laughs> <laughs> hector elizondo not you, you, i haven't talked about all of his funny scenes too he said some great scenes just a little minor comedy when they're doing those the random shots of the workers at home and stuff he's had some fantastic little physical comedy things but then aren't important to the overall story though and you talked about that and then that that scene at the beginning when a customer wants chopsticks and they have one pair and there's like they're taped together <laughs> like if they're broken but he taped them she's yeah. like are you serious we you won't buy any more chopsticks <laughs> he's like what it works yeah you can sharpen one in and he can stab it so this scene coming up is one of my maybe my favorite scene in the movie mm-hmm. um you, you can have all of the control from this scene then i'll I'll sit back and let you have that. edit. Okay. So they, they walk home. He walks her home. They go up to her apartment and she's like doing her nightly routine. She's in her robe. She's like putting her face cream on and he's just sitting back enjoying the moment. He, he loves this. Like, I think this is what he's been yearning for the whole time. Like he feels like he has a connection with somebody. She's, being herself in front of him, being open in front of him. He loves this, like, I don't know. He just feels like he finally has like, like a wife, I guess, you know, but he, he says something like I could sit here. There's, there's probably other things in the world that, that I would enjoy watching more than this, but I don't know what they are, you know? And um, she, she just putting lotion on. Yeah. And she's like, literally just put lotion on and face cream on. And so she walks out. And he tells her to open the robe. He's like, open your robe. And she's like, no, you know, um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And this is where I was kind of talking about Cora earlier. You know, Cora's just sitting there like, bye, you know, just like totally topless. And, but she's like, you know, 
not only does she have the robe on, but she's like has those blankets and she's like covering herself up because you could probably, you know, who knows, see like the outline of her boobs or something because she's not wearing a bra, but she's like, you know, just kind of again being guarded. And but he tells her, open the robe, and she's like, no. And he says, um, how like how, how does he say it exactly? She's like, she's like, why, you know? And he says, uh, I don't want to mess this up. What is he? He's like, I don't know, just to know that I can, you know, just, just to know that like you're my woman and I can look at you naked whenever I want, you know, and that I can look at the woman I love and just see her, see your smile, see your breasts, see your stomach. And then he's like, like, as he's saying that, and she's like, don't even say it, you know, because he's, he's getting ready to say like down there too. And mm-hmm. she's like, I hate that word. And he's like, oh, I need to get my thesaurus and come up with a better word then. And so kind of, it's just this awesome moment between them and this honesty and, vulnerability and he's like come on you know just 15 seconds let me look at you and she agrees to it you know and she like holds it open and he's just sitting there admiring her it's just it's just such a cool moment and just I don't know it just it seems so real to me they just did such a perfect job not not only Gary Marshall the writer the dialogue was perfect the Al Pacino's acting her acting just everything about that scene was perfect like that scene alone was five stars to me it was a good scene (laughs) (laughs) it was a good culmination but then right after that they get crazy again like within seconds of of that scene because it actually it's still the same scene it's within seconds of that dialogue exchange where they flip out on one another again. Well, she flips out on him, and then he comes on too strong again. Yeah. You, 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 I said you can have this whole scene, but yeah, you can take it again. Well, no, I mean, you said it. Um, she flips out on him. It's just like she's scared of being completely open again. You know, she's scared of being hurt again. And anytime she gets close to somebody, she guards herself off again. And she basically goes off and locks herself in the bathroom and, tells him to leave but he doesn't want to he's kind of just staying in there and um well then i guess we should have mentioned the whole time before that they were listening to that song claire de lune or whatever that yeah they listen to that late night midnight midnight with monty or whatever he's playing classical music yeah so when she goes in there al pacino calls that radio station and asks for an encore that song but I, i mean you know again it's just like she's in there and he he just doing he's that another cool scene where he's just saying there and he has his hand on the door you know and but i don't know i mean she's thinking and he's thinking and is it just listening to that song i don't know i mean what did you get like what made, what pulls her out of there finally you think because well, he calls in he, he calls and then it ends up he he's calling the monty he's calling midnight at monty ask for the name of the 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 thing and then he gives them their life stories like my name's johnny my girl's name's frankie and blah 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 and he's like oh okay claude debussy and it's the claire what is it claire de lune i think is what it was yeah claire Claire de lune yeah like, okay cool thank you and then she's like oh that's it you're an asshole you know she goes off on him because he didn't he constantly tries to take control of every situation because he thinks he can fix it, which he kind of does do a lot of the time, but it, it's weird. And I'm not entirely sure why they fight. I honestly don't remember why they get into this huge screaming match, because she asked him to leave, and he's like, no. He's like, leave, leave. Do, do you remember why they get into the fight? 
she she says hold on she says i think you better leave now it it has to do with being in love again like he's he's talking about being in love and she's she almost and she basically just says i think you better leave now and he he basically like refuses to and she says i'll open the window and scream scream and but basically it's just almost like she wants him to leave and he's refusing to and that just sets her off she like throws stuff at him and and then, then he makes the phone call and then Claire DeLune and then the song. Well, then that Monty guy comes on. He's like, I don't know if it's real or not, but uh, these two lovers, I hope, you know, I don't normally do this, but they had such a good story. And I hope, I don't know if there's their real names or not, but I hope Frankie and Johnny, this one's for you. I hope you guys can work out your differences. And then it plays and then they have like a sweet little exchange and then they're magically better. Where she opens up that door and she's brushing her teeth and she offers him a toothbrush and he goes in there and gets that toothbrush and they brush her teeth together and watch the sunset and then we do and they do sunrise. another one. Right, yeah, I'm sorry, sunrise and the sunrise. They've been arguing all night. Yeah, they do another one of those montage where they show everybody like what they're what they're doing they, at that point in their life and yeah, but but yeah, I mean it's basically and again, I mean maybe there's more in reading more into it, but. In my opinion, it's just like this is probably going to be their relationship. You know what I'm saying? Or did she finally open up to him? I don't know. But it's just, I don't know. It's just two emotionally guarded people that, uh, but it seems like he's completely willing to always be open. But it, and I guess the big question is, is she finally opened up or is it going to be more of the same? <laughs> is it going to be the, the next day? Is it going to be another situation with her? I don't know. But but Drew right. said it perfectly. I mean, about you know, it, it you can look at this two different ways. It's just like that's I guess the charm of what this movie is is showing a love story between two people like that. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. What'd you get out of it? I mean, that I think it's supposed to be a love story, and then I'm all for people coming together, but uh fighting with isn't necessarily fighting for a relationship. So, yeah, having been there myself, just because you fight doesn't mean that you guys are fighting to stay together. Sometimes you're just fighting because you do not belong together at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, that might, you know, that's my own personal stuff coming into it, but still. But this is where she says all the stuff about her ex-boyfriend. And, the and she shows him piece. the scar. Yeah, yeah. it is. a she, she does drop the barriers. So, I mean, maybe it is, maybe she does just finally dump all that emotional baggage that she's been carrying around and finally open up to her, to him, I mean, and, and maybe this is the the beginning, you know, truly the beginning of, of their relationship. That's the way I'd like to look at it. But yeah, I mean, she's more than anything. I mean, this is, again, we, we kind of, or I kind of said at the beginning, I feel like coming out of prison, he was reformed. He knew who he was. He knew who he wanted to be but she didn't yet. And then she kind of went on the journey. This movie was kind of the journey, her emotional journey of what he probably went through while he was in prison, you know? And now at the end of the movie, they're both where they need to be in life. So that's why I like to look at it and like to think that they both live kind of happily ever after and they both kind of changed and finally put their past behind them. It would be neat to like think that the next weekend they go and visit his family and 
they're close. She she's like there for emotional support for him, and I don't know. But all these other movies are like cookie cutter rainbows and happiness, and then you have this love story between these two type of characters. And like Drew said perfectly, like you you can very easily have a horror movie about him. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a few weeks later they got into a fight and she broke it off and he snapped and killed her and then killed himself. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know where this goes. It's very open to interpretation. It really is. Yep. So, yeah. Frankie and Johnny. <laughs> that would be kind of cool to like make a make like a little horror short, you know, based on that. Like what happens after this? You could. <laughs> he well. does like start talking again. I think he's like starts talking when they're brushing their teeth. He's talking and talking, and she's just like, shh. Yeah. She shushes him. Like she wants she, to she, enjoy she, the. She, yeah. It's like most of the time, like maybe she's into the passion, but maybe she can't stand him while he's talking because he is obnoxious when he talks. Mm-hmm. He talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. And she's just like, and it's just like the last thing is the shh. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out. Yeah. You can't stand talking to him. All right. Any final thoughts or anything you wanted to add? I don't really have anything to add about the movie other than like uh, just some stuff with the, for the director with the movie is Al Pacino is known for, apparently, it's a weird thing to be known for, but his love of Shakespeare and his love of handball, which they go out of their way to make sure that he gets to play handball and talks about how much he enjoys playing handball. And the if Johnny also talks about his love of Shakespeare a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Had nothing to do with Johnny. That was entirely Pacino. Hmm, I didn't realize that. To, make him more his character and the same thing for michelle pfeiffer is they had an entirely different scene plan for that uh that freak out it wasn't supposed to be at a bowling alley it was supposed to be somewhere else but they reworked it to be at a bowling alley because michelle pfeiffer loves bowling and is actually incredibly good at bowling I was say, was, she's really doing that in the movie yeah like, she's really knocking those yeah. strikes and not like, that's her and like it's just easier to do this than try and teach an actor to fake a new hobby. Yeah. If they're already good at it and comfortable in that area. Let's just do that, and it didn't really affect the story at all. It was just different placement. So yeah. I thought that was good. He, he knew how to, you know, it goes for the director. He knew how to work with his actors and stuff. That was a good little tidbit. I've said my piece. The movie's not unwatchable. Will I suggest this movie to other people? No. Will I ever watch this movie again? No. Was I uncomfortable through my first and second viewing of the movie? Yes. I get it. It doesn't need to be all sunshine and rainbows. You know, gray is good. But I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and so I'm going to give this, I'm giving it two uncomfortable mouth rapings out of five. From the kiss, from that kiss forward, like, and it was, I enjoyed the movie all the way up until that point, and they got together, and then after that part, I was like, I'm ready for this movie to be over with, <laughs> and it, 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 it went on for like a half hour longer than it needed to because it got together, broke up, got together, it's, broke up. It's a to- two hour movie of them getting, of, of, yeah, it's two hours of them getting together and breaking up a dozen times from yeah. I'm exaggerating six, seven times. Yeah, far too many times. It's also because, well, he did show 
though it wasn't necessary, I did enjoy it because it made you in the characters more endearing where it did do the home shots. It showed Cora at home. It showed Nita at home. It showed Nick at home. Not necessary. I was more interested in the diner and the people in the diner than I was in Frankie and Johnny getting together. A little bit. Like the, the, the family and the character dynamic of that, of that cafe was more interesting to me. Yeah. Two uncomfortable mouth rapings out of five. What Drew just said is, uh, and I kind of said this too, what, what drew me to the movie is, was that scene when they were in the diner or the cafe or whatever talking and the dynamic between everybody that and I agree with you is my, you know, I loved that. I love that dynamic. They did a good job with all that. The characters in there, good writing, good dynamic. I want to to mention too, whenever uh, uh, Blake gave his review, I've always watched you take the notes. It's just funny to think to myself, you hand wrote the words mouth ravings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote it down so I can remember it for later. But uh, this didn't make me as uncomfortable as you guys did. I looked at it as these two characters, the way that they are. I appreciated, again, I know enough about Gary Marshall, again, Runaway Runaway Bride, all these other like rainbows and fun movies and more, you know, comedy than drama. I mean, I kind of said at the beginning, I I called this a romantic dramedy uh, where the drama is before the comedy. I liked seeing the different dynamic, you know, of of two people falling in love and emotionally scarred people and um, them kind of healing their wounds together. I did severely dislike the fact that it just went round and round I think I agree it went on too long it was two or three breakups too many (laughs) you know most movies I mean they have it's the and, and maybe that's our problem with what Hollywood's fed us all of our lives I don't know because that's the formula you know what I'm saying it's like two people then they they get to this stage they get to this stage then they have the you know this the, big thing happens in the middle yeah, and the one the one together. breakup right exactly it goes to the one breakup and then sadness and then oh happy ending normally whereas this is like more like even though it kind of sucks to watch in a movie but it's more like <laughs> real life you know what i'm saying like that's more like what happens like people go through these stages and they keep break oh what's up with uh what's up with frankie and johnny oh they broke up again you know and that's kind of how real life is you know but um, but whenever you watch it in the movie, it is just so redundant and and it, it definitely, it got old. So, you know, if it, it could have been a lot better and I was hoping for more. I love the characters. I liked the story. I liked the, I loved the writing. Gary Marshall did a good job. I loved that one scene. I think it was, it just seemed so real to me that, that I talked about earlier, but I just felt like something was missing and for, I mean, I think this could have been like a four-star movie. I don't think it was a two-star movie. So I'm going to go in the middle and do three. And I'm going to say it was three tight lids. I liked whenever you talked about that earlier because that, that was a great little thing throughout the movie, recurring thing. But three tight lids out of five. Respectable. You, cho- you chose to see the happy side of this of this story me and blake saw the well i've had the darker side of this story oh, i definitely so, saw the darker side but i kind of res- maybe if they I, did like I, an epilogue like a six months later or something and it showed them six months later they're both dead yeah <laughs> or yeah, like I'm telling you 
Or it could have been like the six months later where she was waiting in the car and he went and saw the kid. You know what I mean? Okay, they're actually, they're getting, but it's just, they're going to be broke up. And um, There's nothing that they do as characters that compliments, that makes the other one a better person. No. They, they clash don't constantly. They don't, they don't compliment each other. That'd be, I think that'd be an issue. I don't know. But we didn't did yeah. two hours on this. Sorry. <laughs> do, you, do you have any uh, final things before I make my suggestion? Nope, that's it. I'm ready for you, man. All right. So I want to apologize in advance because uh, I didn't even realize till just now when I saw the runtime for this movie and we talk about long movies. Uh, so I apologize, but I'm incredibly curious about this movie. I, I literally don't know anything about this movie. Forewarning, it is like uh, 145 minutes. It's like two and a half hours. God. No, that's not bad. So, well, you, 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 you like two and a half hour movies, Steve. <laughs> So it is as written. long as it's good. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. So I literally picked that we have a used for people who are listening. We have a used movie store close to us called McKay's. It's used books, movies, video games, so on and so forth. And I'm just there glancing through things. And the title, you know, you're not supposed to judge a book by the cover, but the title of the spine of this movie caught my attention so fiercely that I was like, I've never seen this movie. I've never even heard of this movie. And so I bought it specifically so we could i could suggest it to steve and we could watch it on for the podcast but it's called it's george a romero's 1981 drama that he wrote and directed called night riders starring ed harris and tom savini tom savini acts in this yeah tom savini is an actor I thought he was like a special effects guy. No, he's the he maniac in 1980s maniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's more of a besides just yeah, special I mean, effects. You're artist. right, though. He did start out as a special effects guy, but he acts in a lot of stuff mm-hmm. from dusk till dawn. Yeah, I mean, yeah. tons of stuff, though. I mean, he's I in Machete, out, I think. But... He's in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of the movie at all, Steve? I have not. I have never heard of it. I thought George A. Romero just yeah, did zombies. That's a way to like we went on deck too deep into it right now, but we got I was like I was like George I was, when Blake first said I was like he made a movie that wasn't about wasn't about zombies and he's like I guess so. <laughs> what year did it come out? 1981. April 10th, 1981. So Is incredibly... it Night Riders with a K? Yeah, yeah. Night Riders with a K. Oh, okay. And it's one word. Knight mm-hmm. Riders, yeah. Knight Riders. Yeah, let's uh, go ahead and, and we'll wrap up. this up because we don't want to keep this going for too much longer. And you got anything else you want to say about this pick, Steve, before uh, wrap, we wrap this up? Nope, I'm excited to watch it. I have not even heard of it, so I like when Blake does this to me. <laughs> Good old curveballs, huh? You and me too. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Usually it's like, usually Blake will say something. Is it, is it, yeah, Steve's like, yeah, I've seen that like 12 times. I watch it like <laughs> once a year, dude. All right, so I'm going to wrap this, wrap this bad boy up. So we always want to, uh, on the very end here, we want to thank Greg Bennett for supplying us with the opening theme we have for this podcast. Uh, he, did, he did a great job. And uh, I think I mentioned before he did like a less than 24 hour turnaround on the, on the theme, which was like, wow. and like less than 24 hours and like nailed it on the first go, which is like, I was not expecting that at all. It was awesome. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Devious Pixel, who subl- supplies the title art for this podcast. Me and Mike have been working, working with him for years. He does all the art for our other podcasts as well. He's a very cool guy and actually guessed it on our on our other podcast. If you're interested in that, which I'll mention further down this list. If you want to uh, keep track of the comings and goings of this podcast, I post about 
when we record, when the episode's coming out, and other miscellaneous movie movie stuff that comes across my feeds and I'll share to this page and stuff like that. We're on Facebook. The main the main things are Facebook and Twitter. And you could write there too. We 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 all we want more. We we have a couple of movie suggestions which we we do take into accounting for uh, we did one episode 10 and we got one more for episode 20. We like people to write in if you, th- if you got, if you've listened to the episodes and you think you have something that kind of, now this podcast has been all over the board. It's kind of hard to tell, but if you think you have a movie that you think the guys will be interested in talking about, throw us, throw it at us. We'll, we'll definitely review it and it'll be on here eventually. One of us definitely want to see yeah, my, my own criteria as long as one, as long as one of them shows interest, the other one has to watch it. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, you can write that. You can write that. You can message on Facebook or you know DM on Twitter or write straight to our email at action.themoviepodcast at gmail.com. Any of that stuff. We'd like to have more of that. Now also that stuff always posts before we a couple hours, usually maybe sometimes a couple of days when when we know ahead of time about recording, I'll post ahead about uh writing in if you want to write about any any thoughts or questions about the current movie or any previous movie or any generalized questions or thoughts for the the guys here, we, we're always open to that. Uh, I always say people, I know people are sometimes wary of getting their thoughts read on a, on a online forum such as this, but we'll, we'll be nice about it. So, and we can also, you can also be anonymous if you want to, there's no harm, no harm in that. Two things for cross promotion. I mentioned it a minute ago, me and Blake do have a, a another podcast that started before this one, this, this one kind of backdoor piloted off of that one in a way. So not, that's not true. That spin spinoff in a way. Our other podcast is Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Controllers. That one is mostly uh, centered around video games. And uh, we do do, uh, I do try to pitch ba- pitch bands on there, music and stuff like that. And Blake does uh, pitch movies on there, but he his movie pitches on there are spoiler free. That's kind of what led to this podcast, this podcast being completely full of spoilers because it's so hard to pitch a movie without spoiling it. Very difficult. Last thing I have, of course, we're going to promote Blake's uh, short story. He self-published to Amazon. Uh, if you have Kindle Unlimited, it's already on there. Just search for it. It pops up for free. If not, it's it's 99 cents. You just search. They come this night. It's the It'll pop up right away. It pops up immediately. If you buy it and read it, like it, don't like it, whatever, like that, just read, leave, a, leave a review. It's about the only thing. We don't ask for reviews for podcasts and stuff like that. There's just too many podcast in the world but uh if you leave reviews for the his thing it increases visibility and stuff like that in the amazon algorithms it's just nice to help him with that and it'll help motivate him to write more stuff we like him to more put some more things out uh and that's all i got i want to thank everybody for listening and uh well what else <laughs> we uh, i always say we enjoy doing this it's, it's a lot of fun and we like getting to see lots of uh different movies and stuff we may have like said like for night rider stuff we haven't ever thought of before or maybe we have never stumbled upon so it's always fun to get to do this with both of these guys here that's all i got you guys can wrap it up we'll close it out yep it is always fun always look forward to it and always look forward to like you said seeing movies i haven't seen before and being able to talk about them with you guys so looking forward to the next pick and i will leave you guys with uh just saying Make sure you see enough movies because of all of life's riddles are answered in the movies. And I want to wish everybody a good evening and good night. Frankie and Johnny were sweethearts.